0: Okay, I think we'll get started. Thank you for being patient. My name's Judy Cooper, and I coordinate the public programs here at the Pratt Library and see some familiar faces, and also some new ones as well. So welcome, and thank you for coming this evening. Um, On the table in the back, as you came in, is uh, copies of our May and June news and events calendar, and we have activities for all ages of people, and so I hope that you will pick one up and um, come back again for some of our events. Um, In fact, in the next week, we have, uh, starting on Sunday, we have Daniel Mark Epstein, who's a well-known poet here in Baltimore, and he's also written written several books about the Lincolns, and this new book is about Lincoln's... um, Personal secretaries. And um, we have six authors coming to Pratt Libraries next week. I think that's even a record for us. Um, uh, as part of our writers live, we call it our writers' live series. Um, we we host events for local authors and authors from around the country, and also occasionally, um, as we're doing this evening. Uh, writers from outside of the United States. Our special guest tonight is Kezra Sharaz. She was born in Pakistan but has lived in Manchester, England since she was nine years old. And she's really a very multi-talented individual. She holds two master's degrees, um, one in European literature and one in script writing for television and radio. She is a fellow of the Royal Society of the Arts and a member of the Royal Society of Literature. She has had a successful career in education as a consultant and, a teacher train in, and in teacher training. And she's also um, hosted and coordinated many literary events, workshops, and creative writing seminars. As a writer, she has worked as a journalist and has written short stories and scripts for television television dramas and uh, novels, including the ones that she, we hope she's going to talk about tonight and read from, um, The Holy Woman and Typhoon. All of this, you're probably wondering how she has time to do all of these things, but she is also a wife and mother of three sons. Um, as I mentioned, we, she's going to, to read tonight from The Holy Woman, and it's a powerful um, family drama, and it's a romantic story of love and betrayal. And then her other book, Typhoon, that she's going to read about, and we have copies here for sale tonight that you may purchase. Um, she will sign them for you after the program, and... Uh, I think she has, I see some other books here on the table that I didn't even know about, so I hope she'll talk about those for us as well. Please um, give Ms. Shiraz a very warm Baltimore welcome.
1: Good evening, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Two requests before we go further. One is, if you've got phones, please switch them off. That includes my own relatives (laughs) who are here. It it does disturb during the reading. Secondly, please, all these chairs are staring in the face. Please, if you don't mind moving forward, come and sit near me if you don't mind. Especially the back rows, move forward, please. Let's have a nice, cosy little group here. (laughs) That's better, isn't it? And there's always a comfortable sofa here as well. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yes, come and join me here or there. There's a fantastic sofa here. <laughs> First of all, let me start saying how truly, truly delighted I am to be here, particularly in this library in Baltimore and to be hosted by Judy. Now, let me say, my tour began with Judy. Can I say that? (laughs) It did. (laughs) I've been touring quite a few countries because my books have come out in different languages, so I go there. Unfortunately, for the last seven years or so, I've not been to the U.S. I was supposed to come about eight years ago, and then something happened, and I changed my mind. And then a few months later, somebody invited me to actually launch a collection of stories where one of my stories was in it, and that was in New York, And they said, Kesra, come over. Sorry, we can't pay for your airfare, your travel costs, but come and join our event. And I thought, well, to go all that way, just for one event, is it worth my while? You know, it's very expensive. I'm very busy with other things. But it got me thinking. I thought, well, okay, I'm going, but I'm not going for one event. I'm going there to launch myself as an author. Not not many people know me here in the U.S. I want to gain some American readers. And then... I decided, well, who do I really want to get involved with? And I have learned over a period of a number of years, having been published, that libraries are your best friends to authors. They really are. I've had book launches, reading events at bookshops, but they are sort of, uh, they are sort of transit things. Publishers have lots of books to sell. Booksellers buy the books. They sell them on the night, and then they forget you. They're off onto the next one. But a book in a library stays for years. One book might be there, but lots and lots of readers read you. And that is why I love having a good relationship with libraries, with librarians, with readers, because that's where the readers are. So I definitely wanted to be part of some library functions and events. And guess who I phoned up first? Baltimore, because my brother-in-law, my husband's cousin, lives here. And I thought, I must stay here for convenience. We'll start with the city. So I phoned up this library, and it was Judy. Straight away, she was so welcoming. Yes, let's have you here. When can you come? We were going through the calendar. I was supposed to come in December, but I couldn't. I had an inspection. We canceled it. So I started off with Baltimore, and then I branched out into Washington, Philadelphia, Arlington, and now even uh, California for something else. So I'm here for two weeks. I've been here for nine days and I've already done quite a few events and I've been reading, I've been talking, I've been answering questions. So I'm hoping to do the same here, but this is your event really. Uh, I will obviously introduce you to my work, I will read from it, but please feel free to ask me any questions about the book, about me, about my life. Uh, living in England, being a migrant woman, being a Muslim woman, what do I think about this, etc. I'm open. I'm used to this sort of thing. So don't feel shy. Please feel free. Everything is sort of welcome from my end. So let me introduce you to my work. I've been writing. Somebody, You asked me a question. Who was You who asked me a question? How many years have I been writing? And now I'm trying to remember. Who was it? <laughs> somebody asked me, and I said, ask this question. Was it yourself? No? <laughs> okay. Somebody asked me a question first. Uh, when did you start writing? I've been writing for a long, long time. It's, it's a long journey. I started writing at the age of 14 years of age. But I really became a published writer at the age of 17 when I had an article published in a magazine. Then I entered into journalism for a few years, writing an article here and there in newspapers. Then short fiction, short stories for about 10 years, trying to get a collection of stories out. But unless you're very famous and well-established, you cannot really bring out a collection of stories. And then I progressed into two new genres, novel writing and script writing. So I'm going to focus on novel writing mainly because I'm introducing you to, to my two novels. If you want to ask me about script writing because I write dramas as well, you're welcome to ask me a question. So I gradually progressed to novel writing and I want to introduce you to my first novel. This is my first novel called The Holy Woman. It's the cover you have here. It's different. It's a new cover. This, this came out as a reprint a year ago. Originally there was another cover, it was in hardback, then it was reprinted and I'll show you some other copies in other languages as well. So This is Indonesian, the Holy Woman. It's called Parampuan Sushi. I went to launch it uh, two years ago. This is uh, a holy Woman in Hindi, pe- published by Penguin in India, and it's called. And they changed the title to Zaribanu. This is Holy Woman in English, and they changed the title to Fated to Love. <laughs> Uh, and I said, well, I resisted that. They said, well, Holy Woman gives people an impression that it might be like a religious book. We want to target, because it's a powerful love story, we want to target the women in particular, and there's a mass market out there, we want to do that. So I argued with them, but at the end, they eventually, uh, I decided to go with that title, because somewhere else is still a Holy Woman. It's also come out in Pakistan and in Turkey, and I gave my last copies of Turkish edition, to someone else yesterday. I'll show you now my Typhoon. I just thought I'd show you the covers. So this is the cover, the book, that is on sale there as well, uh, the recent one. This is a cover, a very stark cover, for a Dutch cover in Holland. Uh, It's called Typhoon. This is the Indian cover. Again, the love is mentioned, love's fury. So Typhoon has become love's fury. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And this is Indonesia. uh, Whereas before it was Perampuan Sushi, now it's become Perampuan Terluka. So, they, so it's, it's, uh, somebody asked me a question about title. I said, look, they said, do you have any say with this? I said, well, originally my titles were Holy Woman and Typhoon, but they changed this title in Indonesia, the reason being Tsunami. This book was launched straight after Tsunami, and they said, we really don't like that title. And then I think they were being clever as well. They want to market them together. Can you see the similarities of covers? But also similarities of title, perampuan, holy woman, wounded woman. They go well together. And I think this is what the Indians did. You know, they too went for the same thing. Can you see the covers? Same woman on the same face. And then the word love in it. So really, writing, uh, publishing has become about packaging, marketing stuff. And my books in particular lend themselves to it because the second one is a sequel, and they've all been sold together. In one sense, I'm lucky because I tell them the second one is a sequel. Straight away, they grab both. Well, I don't mind. I want them to take them both. But really, it's worked that way. So let me tell you about The Holy Woman. So this is The Holy Woman. It's two books in one. Where did I get the idea from? The idea for this book came from a documentary I saw on, in, in England on BBC Two. It was about something that happened in Pakistan in a small place in Sindh. And it was about a custom I didn't know about. Uh, I, as Judy mentioned earlier, I live in England. I, I came from Pakistan to England at the age of eight. So I've lived all my life practically in England. So I'm new to some custom. So I was definitely new to this custom. So what was this custom? In Sin, we have very powerful landlords, very rich people. Land means a lot to them, including Benazir Buto. You remember her, her family? Well, they are landowners. They are those people from that land. Now, they have this custom that if you don't have a, a, a son in the family or if the son dies... And if there are only daughters in the family, then what would happen to the land? If, if the daughter inherits it, then the land will go to her in-law's family. So the land will move out of the family. They love the land. They want to hold on to it. So in order to protect the land, someone has been following this strange custom um, where they make their women into holy women. So they make them into heiresses, but really like make them into religious figures, like nuns. So when I saw this documentary, I thought, what nonsense is this? I was horrified. I "I feel very strongly about women's rights, about women's lives. And I thought, in Islam, Muslim women normally get married, have children, and here are these people who are actually stopping the women from getting married and instead making them into religious women. What nonsense is this? So I decided to take up that story and write about it. So I took the idea from there, but the rest of the book is pure fiction because I really don't know how they do it, what they do. People ask me, what research have you done? I said, well, the only research is that documentary. I've never been to SIN. I don't know anybody from SIN. What I've written is pure, pure fiction, and the world I've created is totally out of imagination. And the other thing I had to have was the the heroine I've created in my book, uh, this glamorous, beautiful, well-educated feminist modern woman how would she become a holy woman that was a problem for me because she she was different from the women who might become holy women and the family she comes from is a father there's a father called habib he adores his children he especially loves this daughter of his zaribano his eldest child because she's very beautiful he's a very possessive father so when the book starts there is a suitor coming to meet her uh, she's 28 years old, the family wants to get her married, she wants to get married but so many times she's been declining suitors, they're not suitable for her and when the book opens, there's a man on his way to meet the family, to meet her, but even before they reach their home, Zariban and this man happen to see each other and straight away, there's a powerful physical attraction between them between hero, Sikander, between Zariban and that's the love story bit, these are the two people central to my story Zaribano and Sekander, they fall in love straight away when the, the, the man Sikander, goes home and they're supposed to meet together formally what the father doesn't know is his daughter has already met this man so the father is used to having all these men falling in love with his daughter because he thinks she's absolutely gorgeous now what happens here there they're all sitting down in a room, Skander sitting down, the family sitting down, and in walks Zaribanu, my heroine. And this man doesn't even bother looking at his daughter. And the father watches, looks. And the father is deeply, deeply offended because he thinks he has snubbed his daughter. And he thinks, if this man is not worthy of my daughter, what has he done? And that irrational moment of dislike, of hatred, becomes my focus of... This man, this father, wanting to stop his daughter from marrying this man. That was the only excuse, only thing I could come with. Because the problem I had as a writer was, how could I make a woman like this become a holy woman? It wouldn't wash. Who would believe? How can this woman like her become a holy woman? So there were two things I created. One was the father's irrational hatred of this man. So when his only son dies, literally a few days later, suddenly... He says, that's it. I have no son. I have a lot of land. I'm going to make my eldest daughter my heiress. I'm going to make her of a holy woman, Shazadi Abadat. Of course, the heroine doesn't want that. She's horrified. She said, what is this? I don't want to become a holy woman. I want to marry this man. Her mother, absolutely horrified. She said, she's in love with this man. She wants to marry him. What are you doing? And the father, he's overtaken by this irrational hatred, dislike. He even threatens his wife with divorce. He said, if you try and stop, encourage my daughter to marry this man, I will divorce you. So he places a lot of pressure. So through this story, what I'm trying to show in my book also is patriarchal tyranny. The world I'm describing, the society I'm describing there is a male-dominated society where men make decisions and women have to accept it. And that's one of the themes I'm following, how women are being suppressed to accept the man's decision. So Zaribano is pressured by her father to become a holy woman. Her mother is pressured by her husband to make his daughter. But my women also triumph. They're strong women. They fight back. And I hope you will read my book and see what happens next. Now I'm going to introduce you to the scene where Zaribano actually becomes a holy woman. Okay? I think I'll need to change my glasses. And yesterday, guess what happened? In Fairfax, I, lost, I left my glass case. <laughs> so, Judy, don't forget to uh, remind me to take my glass case back with me. <laughs> okay, so these are my long-distance glasses. These are my reading glasses. So it's a scene I'm going to read to you where Zaribano comes in, and she's going to c- have a ceremony. And her father sort of introduces uh, everybody. To to what's happening. So let's find out. It's chapter 19. Excuse me for a moment, I think I picked up the wrong book. It is the right book, but uh, let's have it. I thought I sort of turned my page over.. Sorry about this, everyone. <laughs> okay, this has never happened to me before, uh, where you're look busy looking for a page. Okay, I found it. Welcome, everybody. This is the father. Welcome, everybody, my brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, to my daughter's ceremony. I'm most honored to have you here today. I have invited the most revered of all the buzzorg in our district to perform this ceremony. My Zaribano is to be my heiress, our holy woman. He glanced at Zaribano with love shining out of his eyes. So this is why we are all gathered here today. Our Buzur will perform the ceremony. He will start by reciting some surahs from the Holy Quran and Surah al-Yasin. Please begin. Habib turned to the elder man before returning to his seat. Dressed in a long blank coat and with a white starched turban on his head, the Buzur stood up. Clearing his throat, he read from the Holy Quran. Hearing his voice ringing out clear and loud in the hall, the women quickly hastened to cover their heads with their scarves in deference to the sacred words. Then the elder man, lifting the Holy Quran from the wooden trellis stand, bent down in front of Zaribanu. He held it over her head first and read some more surahs from it and then put it close to her face. Zaribana looked up at him, not knowing what was expected of her. Then, when understanding dawned, she took the Holy Quran into her hands and kissed it on both sides. The buzzur prompted her to repeat some surahs from it. She obliged, while the guest watched and listened spellbound. The buzzur was not an imam. But the ceremony had become very much like a nikah, a wedding ceremony. When Zaribana finished reciting after him, the old man thanked her and then gently and respectfully placed the Holy Quran back on its place. Now you're wedded to your faith, he told her in a voice that echoed around the room. Going up to Habib, he offered his hand. Habib pulled the buzzer into a warm embrace. Then turning to his father, Sirajdin, he did the same. The words of congratulation, Mubarak, Mubarak, echoed eerily around the almost silent room. For some of the male guests, this was a cue to get up and talk to their fellow men. The ceremony was over, and the hall had become noisy all of a sudden. The guests began to embrace one another in a manner reminiscent of wedding ceremonies. Zaribano remained sitting with her eyes fixed on the Holy Quran, not quite taking in the scene. When the noise level eventually penetrated her mind, she turned round to look at the guests. Her gaze swung over the crowd, meeting eyes and then darting away until they fell upon a pair of grey ones. Her befuddled brain came alive. Those eyes, she knew that man. An aching awareness raced through her body. He has come, after all, even though he said that he wouldn't. Both gratified and humbled by his presence, her eyes sought to communicate her apology, trying desperately to spell what her lips would not say for her and what her hands could not tell him. Please forgive me, they begged of the man whose love she had sacrificed. Please forgive and forget me. It is all over. Sikandar latched onto her eyes, both captivated and low, to let go of the accidental contact. They were the only tangible means of communication he had, by which he was able to relate to his old Zaribano. While hers expressed sorrow and apologies, his eyes darted frustration and betrayal at her, flashing out his own particular message. I will never, ever forgive you, Zaribano. Her father's hand... ...on her shoulder ruthlessly broke the contact from across the room. Chilled, Zaribano dropped her gaze... ...withdrawing once again into the shell of numbness she had built around herself. When her father called her name, she raised empty eyes at him. So that's the scene where Zaribano becomes the holy woman... ...where the man she wants to marry... ...he watches in horror her going through the ceremony... ...and he has promised her revenge... And I'm not going to tell you what he does. (laughs) You have to find out what he does. (laughs) Okay. So there's a lot happening in that book. It's, in fact, two novels in one. One story is about Zaribano and Sikander, their love story. Readers, whether they're Indonesia or Turkey or Germany or England or U.S., they want to know what happens to the lovers. I've had a lot of people even cheating going to the end (laughs) to find out what's going to happen. It's become very popular, especially in Indonesia. It's become a bestseller there. There's also, but it's a serious book as well. I talk about lots of women's issues. I also wanted to introduce the Muslim world to my Western readers because the novel is set in four countries, Pakistan primarily, Egypt malaysia saudi arabia and even a chapter in london it's also a story of a village where there's the, this landlady the queen of the village her name's jidrani canese and i had a fascinating relationship with this woman i i don't know if you ever heard of this but writers fall in love with their characters they have a special bond these people like for other writers they're they real for me they live inside you. It's almost like having a child. You conceive an idea. The idea develops in, inside you, just as so the child develops inside the womb, and then you deliver it. So that relationship is there. And I had this relationship for three years in this book. The characters grew with me. And in particular, I was fascinated by this woman called Chidrani Ghaniz. She is a widow, lives in a village. And I found there were parallels in the town, there is Zaribana's father, who's a tyrant. In the village, there's this queen, this woman, this landlady, who's a tyrannical woman who will not let her son marry the washerwoman's daughter because she happened to be an enemy, the, the woman who had jilted her husband. So there's a feud going on. And I thought, there are parallels here. Why not bring the two plots together? So in fact, I had two stories, two novels coming into one. But the other fascinating thing about Chidrani K'nish was how she changed. She started off as a baddie figure, as a wicked woman that everybody would love to hate, you know, really hate her. By the middle of the novel, I found, I found while I was writing it, she was becoming more and more sympathetic. And by the end of the novel, I couldn't let go of this woman. I was fascinated by her. I wanted to know, why is this woman like this? What has happened to her? And guess what I decided to do? And now I'm going to introduce you to my second novel. This is my second novel. I already had an idea what I was going to write in this book because I had written a story called "Divorce, Divorce, Divorce," called "The Luck, The Luck, The Luck" in my language, in my other language. And I always knew I was writing a novel. So the idea was there, story was there, characters were there. But when I finished the Holy Woman, I, I suddenly felt I had lost my fourth baby. It, the book was like my fourth child. I have three sons, as Judy said. This book was written 12 years ago, a long time ago. It's been out for nine years. And I, my eldest son, who's sitting there, was about 10 at that time. My second son was about six or seven or six. The other one was three, four. And they would play around me while I would write this. And I would write my book Saturday morning, Sunday morning, fresh chapters. There are 36 chapters there. You know, it takes a long time. I would do this. And weekdays, I would write after a full-time job. I I have a job, or had a job, I've given it up now, in education. I work in education as a teacher, trainer, etc. And so I would be at work from 9 to 5, come home, watch TV, prepare the meals, spend time with the boys. So there isn't much time to write. So all I would be doing is between 10 and 12 is fiddling around with words, with editing. So the only proper time for writing was weekends. And I spent my weekends and holiday time, when we have school holidays, I would be writing. And this would happen for three years. Suddenly, the book is gone. It's left my lap, and I'm bereft. I didn't want to leave them. Can you believe this? I really did not want to say goodbye to my characters. I did not want to let go of that world. It was a strange kind of connection. I was ready to move on to write the next one, but the book was still pulling me back. So I had this strange brainwave. I thought, well, okay, I'm all a writer; I can do what I like. Why should I let go of these people that I love? Why should I let go of that world that I really still want to be with? So I did a strange thing. I decided to make the book a sequel and a prequel. So instead of creating a new village, because it's going to be a new village anyway, I said, why create a new village? Make it the same village. And then the people I love, that woman, the baddie woman I introduced to, Chudrani Ghanese, I wanted to explore her story 27 years earlier as a young woman. What happened to her that made her like this? So that is the reason why my second novel, which I'm going to introduce to you now, is both a sequel, because it takes place one year after The Holy Woman finishes. It starts off with Zaribana's grandfather dying. And this grandfather has one wish, dying wish. He says... ''I want to see her, I want to see her, I want to see her.'' And Zaribano and her mother are saying, ''Who does he want to see? Who is this woman? Who who is this person?'' So I've got the reader interest in saying, ''What is going on? Who is this woman he wants to see?'' And then, in Chapter 3, I take this story back 20 years earlier, when Zaribano was 8 years old, came to the village to visit her grandfather, and something happened in the middle of the night in the village that created a storm, hence the title Typhoon. And that involved her grandfather as well. Now, I'm going to introduce you to the scene that creates that storm. Would you like me to introduce it to you? Yes? Okay. It's a scene in Chapter 3. And I hope I can find the page. Yes, I found it this time. It was so embarrassing, fiddling around, waiting for papers last time. I've got the page here. Okay, Chapter 3. It's about... I'm introducing now, at the back of the book, it says three women, one man, one night." It's a story of three women, Nagmana, Gulshan, and Kaniz. Kaniz is the woman I told you from the Holy Woman. I describe her life as a 27-year-old. Then there's a woman, Gulshan, I'm going to introduce you to now. And then there's another woman whose real story this is. Okay. Middle of the night, Gulshan is the wife sleeping in bed, then suddenly her husband leaves the bed. Inside the bedroom, Gulshan stirred, her hand reaching out to the warm, empty space beside her. She heard the click of the latch of the outside door. Now wide awake, she sat up in bed and stared at the shadows taunting around the wall. "'Where is Haroon?' Gulchen asked the silent room. "'Where could her husband be going at this time of night?' "'A sudden chill snaked up her body as her feet touched the cold surface of the floor.' Blindly, her feet shuffled under the bed, seeking her leather sandals with a big toe. Hurrying across the small courtyard, Gulshan reached for the wooden door. Carefully descended the two concrete steps onto the narrow cobbled lane of the village. She peered into the darkness and at first saw nothing. Then she glimpsed a figure disappearing around the corner at the far end of the lane. Haroon, she called softly, not wanting to wake their neighbours. The village was draped in a cold silence as he slept. Even the dogs were quiet. Gulshan drew her chada tightly around her head and against her uh, against her chest. What was she doing here, standing all alone in the dark, in the middle of the night? What was her husband doing, going? What had happened to him? Panicking, she lifted up the hemline of her trousers in case she tripped over the cobbles and started run after him. Criss-crossing the lane, she intuitively avoided little dirty pools of water where the stones or bricks had gone missing. Breathless now, she shouted, Haroon, Haroon, once more, as she ran after him through the narrow maze of lanes. The last one led out of the village and ended in a large open clearing near the village fields. Gulshan peered down hastily moving away from the grassy edge of the footpath Snakes were known to make their nesting places here at night time Coiled under or around the thick tufts of dry grass Nervously she pulled her shawl even tighter round her head Haroon must have gone further up the path But that's going out of the village I must run after him, I must follow him, she panted The path turned sharply to the right towards the old village well a tall mature tree stood in the middle of the crossroads and Gulshan leaned against his trunk, trying to regain her breath. A sudden shaft of moonlight revealed her breath, uh, sorry, uh, revealed her husband walking up to the well beside an old bunion tree with his dry, gnarled roots spread out on the path and disappearing into the nearby field. Har, her husband's name, jammed in her throat. When a tall young woman stepped out from behind the tree, bareheaded and with her long hair draped like a dark curtain behind her back, she walked up to Harun and leaned towards him. Instantly, and with a sickening jolt, Gulshan knew who the woman was. Gulshan's world stood still on its axis as she watched the woman lay her head intimately against Harun's chest. Before Gulshan's dazed eyes, her husband's arms rose and clasped the woman in a firm embrace. A scream of agony ripped through Gulshan's throat before reaching her mouth. Frantically, she stuffed the edge of a chadra in her mouth and bit onto the cloth, strangling a scream. Before her horror-struck eyes, she saw her beloved husband bend down over the woman's face and shower it with passionate kisses, moving from her forehead down to her throat. A sense of unreality and disbelief crushed over Gulshan. Caught up in the nightmare, she found her feet held to the ground. Whilst her senses reeled with a kind of deadly fascination, her eyes stayed fastened on the pair. It was like a theatre, with the well and the tree as a romantic backcloth, and Haroon and the woman as the chief performers. Now the woman was returning his kisses with the same fervour. Beads of sweat rolled down the side of Gulshan's forehead. Animal sounds of distress tore between her lips. Gulshan's world had simply collapsed around her. Then, from somewhere, primitive jealousy seized and spurred her on, giving her the strength to fight her body. She fled, stumbling on the pebbly, uneven path. So that's the scene I wanted to introduce you that creates the storm. It's a scene, as you can imagine, very powerful, very devastating for the wife. Uh, I was exploring the issue of three people caught up in a relationship. I had heard a friend, someone had said that somebody's husband had betrayed, had an affair with a woman, this and that. And I thought, imagine that in a Muslim context. Imagine this happening in a small village. What would happen? The world I've created here, where men don't even look at women properly, they regard them as sisters. And then for a wife to find her husband in the arms of another woman in the middle of the night with a stranger, is shocking. It's absolutely out of the world. But what I'm trying to describe here is, whether it's Pakistan or England or U.S. or Germany, no matter who you are, no matter who the other person the girlfriend, the wife, the mistress or the second woman, it is still very painful for people concerned. So, I was trying to explain the pain of three people caught up in a relationship. So, you can imagine Gulchen's world has been swept aside. She goes home out of her mind. She tries to go to bed, try to sleep, but she can't. She screams aloud. loud, her mother sleeping next door with her son, and she wakes up, says, so what's the matter? And Gulshen blurts out, another woman has stolen my husband. And the mother thinks, she's, having, she's mad. What, what are you on about? Stolen your husband. Uh, have you been burgled or something? Because she connect connect with this idea. And she said, go and have a look. And the mother thinks, what's going on? She really doesn't believe it. She, too, goes to the fields. She, too, sees the same scene. They're still in each other's arms. And the mother, too, goes through the same emotions as the, as the daughter. The horror, the betrayal, the distress. But as well as that, the mother also feels anger, anguish for her daughter. And you know what the mother does? Next morning, she goes knocking on different people's doors. And one of the doors she knocks on is Zaribana's grandfather. He is the village head of this village, the big man, who makes decisions. She says to him, another woman has wrecked destroyed my daughter's home, stolen her husband, what are you going to do about it? You've got to do something. And I'm not going to tell you what he does. (laughs) You'll have to find out exactly what happens in the middle of the novel that the old man does that has him 20 years locked in here. And not only that, the old man loses his wife as well because his wife Zuleha says, you are a wise man. Do not become irrational. Do not let your heart take over your mind. Think carefully what you do. Do you think he thinks carefully what he does? <laughs> okay. I'm going to leave it at that in terms of reading. But I don't know. How are we doing for time? Are we okay? Plenty of time for question-answer session? I mean, how much have I got altogether? I want to give lots of time to for you to ask me questions, etc. If you have any time left over, I can always read to you the scene after the next day when